Hey everybody, Joe here from the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. If you enjoy what we do here on the show and you think it's worth your hard-earned money, you can support the show via Patreon. Just a $1 donation gets you access to bonus episodes, our Discord, and regular episodes before everybody else. If you donate at an elevated level, you get even more bonus content. A digital copy of my book, The Hooligans of Kandahar, and a sticker from our Teespring store. Our show will always be ad-free and is totally supporter-driven. We use that money to pay our bills, buy research materials that make this show possible, and support charities like the Kurdish Red Crescent, the Flint Water Fund, and the Halo Trust. Consider joining the Legion of the Old Crow today. And now back to the show. Okay, this is uh, Shake Hands with Danger Mix, track four. Shake Hands with Danger, meet a guy you ought to know. To laugh at safety. Hello, <laughs> and welcome to another episode of the Lines of My Duckies podcast. I'm Joe, and with me today is Liam Anderson, one of Hello. the Well There's Your Problem crew, the only engineering podcast worth your time, and honorary Armenian as of today. <laughs> as, as of today, hi, yes, I'm Liam Anderson. Uh, I just wanted to say real quick that this is literally my favorite podcast. I've been calling my girlfriend all day long like i'm so excited to go on joe's podcast joe and i are friends now we hate the turks together like you wouldn't understand our bond and there's just some fucking lady on twitter telling me uh that i am an ungrateful dog i guess for being jewish and she thinks i'm armenian and i don't know what to fucking do with that other than like yeah i like jew armenian yeah we're, we're pretty close so just like the idea of this lady being like, I'm going to put all these fucking racist caricatures on Twitter and why are people getting mad at me for it? And I'm just like, lady, <laughs> A, you can't type. B, you sound dumb as shit. C, fuck you. <laughs> yeah. She like, it's she tried to do the own where where she like posted a picture of my face, which like, number one, I'm not the worst looking dude in the world. Sorry about it. Number two, like, listen, if you want to, if you want to, you know, flick your bean to me, that's fine. <laughs> Just don't tell me about it. You know, it, it's weird because we've been on a podcast together before. I was on. Well, there's your problem. What seems like forever ago now. And slang tunnel collapse or it's yeah, yeah, the slang tunnel fire. fire. And it was the hardest I've ever laughed while doing a podcast to the point I had to turn my mic off. I will not be doing that. I'm going to make Nate's job for the next hour and a half the worst fucking time he's ever had. Uh, I have been doing that for <laughs> almost three years. I I always wait. Uh, I, I always wait for the day that Nate has simply had enough and like one of our mics just cuts out and like that's it. And it's just a voiceover of him talking as opposed to like whatever the actual podcast audio was. So he has never actually been on the show. Uh, but the only time he has been kind of on the show is when he's spliced himself in making fun of me for pronouncing things incorrectly. Was that the Battle of Agincourt episode? Yes, it was. Blew? Uh, yes, it was. Yep. <laughs> uh, and let me tell you, the, uh, the, the, the problem is with only using the, uh, the medium of reading for an episode and not watching a video and how things are pronounced first. Like, ah, I could probably figure this out. <laughs> The uh, the British had uh, some captured Turkish warship, I think, that which was the Agincourt, but they called it a gin court. Nice, because it was uh, because of its luxurious officers' quarters and the fact that the rest of the ship was basically like a, fl- a you know like a floating pallet. <laughs> that sounds very British. Um, now I reached out to you uh, to do an episode finally 
Uh, I don't know why I waited so long. And I gave you options, and you picked by far the most depressing option that has that's Liam, baby. <laughs> and I, you know, credit where credit's due. I told other people the next time they came on, uh, yeah, Francis in Shocks, my lo- other group of long-suffering uh, guests, that they would not have to suffer through an episode about crimes against humanity. Liam, you do not get the same privilege. <laughs> Oh, that's fine. That's fine. I can do this, baby. This is this is what all those what I would you be like I said to you uh before we started recording. Uh being a Jewish kid in the United States is basically just going from Holocaust Museum to Holocaust Museum and them telling you over and over why the Holocaust was bad. Like I was and this is this is like a truly horrible uh sentiment I had, but I went, sorry, on birthright, and they take you to Yad Vashem, the Jewish Holocaust Memorial. Yeah. And I remember thinking, like, all right, listen, like at the end of the strip, like it's like day nine, and I'm like exhausted and miserable. And I said as an aside to my friend who was on the show with me, I was like, all right, listen, like if you've seen one Holocaust museum, you've seen them all. Like, we know what happened. <laughs> like, it's like like, and I was just like, no, the ancestors, no, I'm so sorry. And I I told my dad about that when I when I got back to the States, and as like, and I'm a grown man at this point, but like, as as like punishment for me being so insolent to the ancestors, he sent me nonstop like Holocaust themed reading material. Oh God, that's bleak. And I was, and he was, he was, he was just like, I basically expect a report on this when I see you next. I'm like, I'm 27 years <laughs> old, man. He's like, don't care. You know, it's funny because as an Armenian kid growing up, my childhood was virtually the same and that i went to a lot of holocaust museums as well because there's like i I grew up in detroit so there's no like armenian genocide museum and the holocaust museums always kind of have like a nook dedicated to us yeah (laughs) so we're like look there's your museum kids over there (laughs) we're just like well we feel bad why should we get the whole museum (laughs) yeah yeah we're, we're, we're gonna do a good deed and give the armenians a corner um and, you know, I did the, the same thing by uh, going over and, and seeing a, a memorial. Well, admittedly, like the memorial in Armenia is like fucking huge um, in regards to like the closet that we normally get. But like I've been to so many of them. It's it's funny that we have the same experience, uh, though. My my mom was not as uh, hardcore about it because <laughs> she was like way into us just being American. Uh, like she totally bought into the assimilation thing. And so my name is like Ooh. Joseph and not like, I don't know. Armin. <laughs> <laughs> you should just change it to Armin. I like that. Armin Kasabia. Just be real obvious when you're immigrating. I mean, I'm already like the if I don't shave or cut my hair for two weeks, I am the most Armenian man that most people have ever seen. Um so I might as well just slap like Hejap as my first name and just fucking go all out. <laughs> um I always liked that I I I was I've been told sometimes as by a Jewish person, sometimes I, you don't look Jewish, and you're always like, "Oh, what does that mean?" And like at this point, I'm just like, "You know what it fucking means, okay?" Like, <laughs> like, like my my girlfriend told me she like is passing at one point. She was like, "You know, you don't like you look Irish. You don't look Jewish." And and I was like, "Oh, what does that mean?" And she's like, "You know what it fucking means. Like, you're not five three with curly brown hair." You know? Yeah, I, I'm I'm very I'm six three, so like I tower over most other Armenians that I meet. Uh, yo, dude, when we meet, if we meet in person, what we'll do is I'll stand on your shoulders and we'll be 12 and a half feet tall. Yeah. Uh, that's how we finally bring down Turkey. 
It's my bolt trotting just, together just our genocide powers. Running, running through Istanbul, <laughs> just knocking shit over at the most inconvenient times. I've, I, I, I've been to Istanbul and I'm just like, ah, lovely city full of the worst fucking people I've ever <laughs> met in my whole life. Just everyone there from bartenders to like cab drivers to like museum and has was the worst fucking piece of shit. And I was just like, fuck you, like, fuck you, man. Like, I don't give a fuck that your economy is in the toilet. I didn't crash the Lyra. Like, suck a dick. Like, the one guy, like, told me to my face. I hadn't gotten a chance to shower because we had literally just got off the plane. Cadre was like, oh, you smell pretty bad. And I was like, thanks, asshole. Like, I know I fucking do, dude. I've just been baking in the negative for a week and a half. Like, suck a dick. And uh, it's so fucking funny you mentioned the the little Armenian genocide nook because when I was at the Hockey Hall of Fame, do we have a genocide nook at the Hockey Hall of Fame? No, of course not. Fuck that. We're not going to learn about uh, about schools. But they put the they put the miracle on ice in this tiny little corner <laughs> in the back of the museum. And they're like the greatest hockey game ever played the 2012 Olympic final between the U S and Canada. And I'm just like, which doesn't have a movie made after it. Like, no, it's the miracle on ice. You ungrateful fucking Canucks. I just can't imagine. I just can't help but thinking now that every time you build a museum, you have to build the obligatory Armenian genocide nook. Like <laughs> just here we are at the museum of natural sciences. <laughs> anyway, in Trebizond, uh, but you know, um, uh, so I have, unfortunately, like I said, you picked the fucking most depressing option I gave you, which means we have to start Hell this yeah. off by talking about the Holocaust. Uh, not- All right. <laughs> Childhood part two. Let's do this. Now, I'm actually not going to talk too much about the Holocaust, um, because I assume anybody who's listening to the show has heard me talk about it before, uh, or they have a baseline knowledge of what the Holocaust is. Now, I shouldn't be too open with that assumption, because according to a recent study, two-thirds of Americans don't know what the Holocaust is. Is that fucking serious? Yes. Uh, now, admittedly, one of the Dude, like just... one of the stipulations were like they didn't know how many people died in it, which is weird, because that's like the... F- we make it pretty everybody obvious. Everybody fucking knows. <laughs> like, there's various different degrees of um, revisionism, depending on what circle you're in, when they try to, like, get rid of, you know, especially, like, homosexuals or trans people out of those numbers, or maybe Romas, depending on what part of Eastern Europe that you're in. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, it wasn't a genocide. It was just a friendly dislocation of their people. Yeah, it was um, a, a cleansing due to ethnicity. Oh fuck! If I hear the phrase ethnic cleansing. You you can just say genocide, folks. Yeah, it's the same thing. Like, it's the same thing. We we know what you mean. Uh, so I'm going to go on a limb and assume that most people listening aren't that fucking stupid, and you're aware of what the Shoah is. Um, so we're gonna move past that, and we're gonna talk a little bit of it about what my what my favorite topic on any genocide is, and that is armed resistance to that genocide. Um, because as I'm sure you can attest and things that people have told you, one of the first things that anybody ever talks about is like, wow, they just went into the camps to be slaughtered like animals. Oh, they, they love to do that. They love to do that shit. And I'm just like, A, please don't smirch the memory of my people that way. B, nah. And yeah, they just, they fucking far right. Like even the, um, there's the, uh. I can't even remember the name, but there's a reactionary far right Jewish gun owners group 
that that loves to do that shit and they're all these bizarro world like they're first of all they're all soviet expats yeah we're like, weird I, I don't know how many <laughs> how many of your listeners are jewish but like specifically ex-soviet american jews who emigrated especially right around the fall of the berlin wall absolutely the most insane right-wing reactionaries you've ever fucking met <laughs> they are they're like to the right of kissinger on foreign policy like dude they're they're all nuts and like one of them like my parents attend this like synagogue in beautiful york pennsylvania not a huge jewish community um and the one guy who's like who's a soviet emigrant was just like i'm gonna bring my gun to the congregation like at for self-defense and i'm just like please do not do that like in pennsylvania in york pennsylvania which is just it's a fucking farm town man like not to mention there was a fucking terror attack in a synagogue in the same state yeah yeah you might want to you might want to check like and he he really did see nothing wrong with it and eventually the rabbi had to be like if you do that you're banned and he was just (laughs) like oh like like persecuting gun owners are we like nazi germany and i'm just like what happened to you in 1989 that like your brain broke this way? I just hope like deep down inside, I hope he's one of those rabbis who got really into Krav Maga and just snaps the dude's fucking arm at that point. Dude, our rabbi is like, he's like six, six and he's a good, <laughs> like he, he is also doesn't look Jewish. And I just always wanted him to put people who talk on the high holidays, like in sleeper holds. Cause I think he could do it. Just like leave the bodies, like the sleeping bodies of, uh, of congregants who wouldn't stop talking like on the Bema. Just like, this is an example. <laughs> and like, to be fair, like this actually isn't an American, um, only thing, uh, in Israel, uh, in, er- in Israel's early history, it was common for military-aged males who survived the Holocaust to be discriminated against um, to the point that, like, their children would lie and say they were uh, Sabras, like, you know, born in Israel. Yes. So they so they wouldn't get the stigma of their parents having gone to a camp rather than fight. It's fucking absurd. Uh, and Armenians have the same thing, to be completely clear. Um, it's just not as widespread because ours, you know, happened over 100 years ago. So our survivors are all dead. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, that's one of the reasons that I like because like, you only hear about this sort of thing when it's always reactionary ass right wingers and they're like, well, what if they had guns? Like you ignorant ass motherfucker, they like, did. Like they tried, they sure tried. Like uh, you know, we we talk about. I mean, I, I'm not sure if we're gonna talk about it on this episode the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising. They held out for a long time against a whole lot of Gestapo and SS. Yes, uh, we're we're not going to talk about it so much. We're going to talk about a different ghetto, um, but we do bring up the Jewish Fighting Organization, which you know took pl- uh, took part in the uh, Warsaw Ghetto Uprising. Um, and uh, I definitely want to talk about that later on, and I will fucking keep your name in mind because that will be an amazing episode. Oh, um, thank you. Uh, but the reason why I bring that up is Jewish partisans, especially those in the East, were caught between a. I guess easily called a rock in a hard place. On one side was, you know, the Nazis and their functionaries. And the other side was the Red Army or various groups of other partisans, some controlled by the Soviets and some of them not. Uh, Now, the Soviet Union and some of these vaguely nationalist, sometimes communist partisan groups that formed after the invasion uh, by Germany were, in many cases, incredibly anti-Semitic. Uh, the Soviet oh, yeah. Union itself oh, yeah. <laughs> was also incredibly anti-Semitic, though it wasn't always that bad or was not supposed to be that bad. Um, 
No, that sort of a comes with the geographic territory you happen to be standing on. Well, we have yeah. the Jewish Autonomous Oblast. Yeah, Thanks, the, guys. The, the, <laughs> the Pale Settlement Law. Uh, like, for instance, after the revolution, uh, the Pale Settlement Law uh, was abolished from the Tsarist days that pretty much exiled Jews to one very specific sliver of land and nowhere else. Um and that was actually something the Ottoman government did as well when, like, they said, quote, the Armenians can live in the desert and nowhere else uh, where, you know, you die because you can't live there. Um, but in many cases, like specific classes of Jews couldn't live in this pale territory or the pale area, which effectively forced them into even greater exile or just made them live as illegal people. Uh, you know, thankfully, something that doesn't happen anymore uh, no, in our country. As, as we um, know. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but the Bolsheviks attempted to repress Judaism and Jewish culture, something they attempted to do to all minorities within the new Soviet Union and force them into a, a Russian monoculture. Um, Lenin himself wrote both for and against Jewish pogroms, and it really all depended if it was politically expedient. Politically convenient to them at the time, yeah. There, you yeah. get a lot of people uh, who, who tend to say, oh, well, you know, the Soviet Union, well, Lenin was Jewish. I'm like, no like you you get it's 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 a it's a we were a tool of political convenience just so we've been a political football since the second temple burned like (laughs) we 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 know better than that we've 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 tried to kick that football one too many times yeah i mean for example obviously there's the white terror by the white russians during the civil war they targeted virtually everybody walking but mostly jews and lenin spoke out against that because he had to look good in comparison to the white russians which again low fucking bar but then in 1919 in his quote policies on the ukraine he said that uh, ukrainian jews shouldn't be allowed in any administration positions within their new system so yeah he got a bit of a mixed bag comrade um russification is bad I i think we can kind of agree on that yeah, good thing we don't still deal with that today. Like that war that my uh, fucking half my goddamn country was taken <laughs> in September. Yeah, no, they. Oh god, I just that's the worst part about dealing with these online Twitter dweebs that are all seventeen and tankies. It's just like they're like, ah, oh, Soviet Union always good, and I'm just like, much like every other country, Soviet Union a land of contrasts. Like I am begging, I'm begging you to to not just read theory. <laughs> yeah um i would instead invite them to read history books uh particularly those not written by uh grover fur um <laughs> <laughs> a guy that is somehow still alive uh because there's is no really? justice in the world is he fucking really yeah yeah uh, at least that's what i heard i could be fucking wrong i don't know to wikipedia now, by the 20s and 30s, the Soviet Union officially made discriminating against Jewish people bad like again. a year so, older than my dad. What the fuck? Uh, God damn it. See, this is where I say something that Nate has to cut out. <laughs> but I'm, gonna, I'm just not going to do it. Do it. You can do it, Joe. Make, make <laughs> Nate earn that money, Joe. <laughs> um, but unfortunately, you know... Uh, with Jews being able to legally exist again, becoming a thing, then Stalin took over and did most of that uh, and undid most of that. Oh, he sure did. But we're supposed to be a big fan of, of Stalin. Nah, fuck him. Uh, fuck Stalin. Rotten, uh, yeah. Rotten, rotten piss. piss. Yep. <laughs> uh, he used Leon Trotsky's Jewishness against him and sparked anti-Semitism. Oh, throughout he the sure Soviet did. Union once again. He sure did. Also the doctor's purges folks. 
Yeah, and the the rootless cosmopolitans, uh, mm. which is like my my personal favorite spin on that old you can't be a loyal you can't be loyal to Judaism and whatever uh, nation of birth that you're in. You know the same thing that Nazis and everybody else did. Oh, they like, love you, you, the dual loyalty myth, man. They love yeah. that. They love that slander, man. I'm just like, as as a Jew, like I can tell you, like I I have many problems with the United States, but if, as you'll see with my Twitter exchanges with that dumbass Turk on Twitter, <laughs> I love my idiot country. Yeah, you know, it's like I will defend Armenians. I have like the Armenian state doesn't mean a whole lot to me, uh, mostly because I don't think states are a great idea. Sam, I feel um, that. <laughs> but does not mean I'm cool with being genocided again. So, you know, a little bit from column A, a little bit from column B. I feel that. I, I very much feel that. And then you get the people who are like, oh, well, you know, you're Jewish, free Palestine. And I'm just like, does it say Israeli anywhere in this fucking bio? No, it doesn't. Right. It says humanistic Jew. Stop that. Yeah, that's, I think, and that is, you know, as especially what the Soviet Union and what a lot of other people, like, you can't have loyalty to home and, but you know, at the, at the time, a country that does not even exist. And now, a country that you strongly disagree with. <laughs> I sure do. But listen, I went to Israel. I didn't marry a nice Jewish girl. My girlfriend is Catholic. I took BB's money. I did it right. <laughs> now, um, the reason why I bring all this up is uh, because that's how Eastern Europe was at the time of the Nazi invasion. And like most times in history before it and for some time afterwards, it was not a great place to be a Jewish person. Uh, most of this ingrained anti-Semitism that had lingered in the generations meant that when the Nazis came through, many civilians were more than happy to sell out their neighbors if it meant that they would be left alone, while others became full-on supporters of the Nazis' goals, despite the fact that, based on dumb Nazi race science, the very people that were helping them were absolutely next on the chopping block due to the hunger plan that, that was going to kill them in a couple of years. Uh, Lithuania. <laughs> <laughs> It's now, just Poland too, man. You get these people like, uh, it's so fucking funny because as, as a Jew, you always hear about that. You hear about you know, the the few Jews who did return to their homes and like then were killed or whatever. But I just I I always I always heard about that as a kid. The sort of like they were sold out by their neighbors. Can you believe that? And that's why you we all should have our own country. And I was just like, or, or <laughs> something else. <laughs> You're so close. Maybe so dumping close. arsenic in a water supply. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Ah. Many, many people are saying this. Um, and that is what brings us to our main character today, a guy named Abba Kovner. Have you ever heard of him before? I have heard of, of, of uh, Daddy Abba, actually. Uh, my dad is a, is a big, was a big fan. Uh, he fled. I, my dad was always proud that he fled into the woods. Uh, and then became a Soviet partisan and survived the war. And I, I just yeah. always love this idea of Abba like sitting under a rock, eating some berries, like shooting Nazis. He was a poet by trade, if I'm not yes. mistaken. <laughs> um, he's actually way cooler than just that. Um, now, he was born in 1918 in Eshmani, Belarus, but moved to Vilna, then part of Poland, now called Vilnius and part of Lithuania. I'm sure I pronounced it incorrectly. Most of that, in fact. Who gives a shit? Uh, yeah. Uh, 
if you, if if you if you live in Lithuania, come at me, bro. Um, also me. Also me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I believe that we could win. Uh, Kovner was a was uh, made in a factory to be something that the Nazis hated more than anything else. Not only was he a Jew, but he was also a communist. Um, he was a member of what was called the Heshomar Hatsir, uh, something else I'm sure I pronounced terribly. If, if Heshomar Hatsir, yeah, I'm, you you got pretty close, Joe. You got pretty close. Know, my Lithuanian is bad. My Hebrew is worse. That's um, okay. There, they were a socialist Zionist. <laughs> Uh, organization, and he was actually, as far as I know, related to uh, Meyer Vilner, which is yeah. fucking hilarious. Because yeah, that guy uh, was—I uh, was, think he was his cousin. <laughs> you imagine going to that reunion, just like gunfire and just <laughs> like vanguard party as you're trying to read a poem. And is Meyer related to Golder Meyer? I'm sure, uh, probably <laughs> through some through some corrupt bloodline. That's a fucking power family right there. Um, yeah, like like he said, this is a Jewish secular uh, Zionist movement, and it's actually still in existence today, obviously in a much different form. Um, yep. <laughs> by the 1930s, the vast majority of its members were centralized in Eastern Europe, and when the Nazis came storming through, they switched from being uh, labor organizers to uh, actively fighting the Nazis. Uh, now, some of the most renowned Jewish partisans, not counting the Belsky brothers, thanks to the Daniel Craig movie, were all members of this organization, to include Mordecai Analewicz uh, of the Jewish fighting organization who led and commanded the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising. Um, and have you seen Defiance? Yes, I have. I like it, even if it like really whitewashes some of the fucked up shit the Belskys did. Yeah, it, it does, but like... There's this also like just as a Jewish person, there's this narrative of that I find really interesting that like the people, especially who resisted, because there's always this idea that Jews went like lambs to the slaughter, which actually uh, Kovner himself said, I think. But oh yeah, we'll get that. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's there's a a narrative at least as a Jewish kid growing up in the sort of rural suburban area of Pennsylvania that like your heroes should be people who fought back against injustice. Like I learned about the Warsaw ghetto uprising when I was like five and my, my dad, especially uh, always tried to do the like, no armed resistance is appropriate. Like when your people are dying. So I've always been kind of baffled by the like Jewish people went meekly to the slaughter when it's like, no, like we, we held out with basically like potato masher grenades and nothing else for a few weeks. Yeah, uh, especially in the account of like Warsaw Ghetto, like they're making fucking zip guns and shit and fighting against artillery. What? Yes. What do you want them to do? <laughs> this is um, made. This is made out of a lead pipe. It's just a <laughs> lead pipe. <laughs> but before the Jewish fighting organization and the Warsaw Ghetto uprising, there was Daddy Abba. Uh, he, like fifty-five thousand other Jews, a number which would eventually grow higher, would be forced into the Vilna Ghetto when when the Nazis took over in June of 1941. And as soon as that happened, Kovner knew that he had to get the fuck out of there so he could fight some Nazis. So he and several of his friends fled the ghetto with the help of a local convent, fleeing into the woods. Now, this is where he actually ends up being way cooler uh, than uh, how you described him. After this, Kovner and his friends joined a local partisan group, or at least tried to, but he was rejected because they were Jews. Um, Thanks, guys. (laughs) <laughs> Good looking out, comrades. Uh, that is when Kovner came to understand that uh, 
while they might have some allies, the only people that were going to care about saving the Jews of Europe were the Jews of Europe. These partisans did not give a fuck about what was happening in the ghetto. So they'd have to form their own group to fight Nazis from within the ghetto itself. So they snuck back into the ghetto to form the United Partisan Organization, which fell under the command of Kovner's friend Yitzhak uh, Wittenberg. So they left. We're free. You're like, fuck that. We're going back in. I, I love the idea of just being like, we got out and we're getting like, just when I think I'm out, they pull me back in. And it's just a guy <laughs> through a fence and handing you a machine pistol. <laughs> now, the UPO had some problems pretty much imme- immediately, one of which was a lack of weapons and recruits. Uh, but another was the ghetto itself. Now, uh, inside each ghetto, the Nazis would set up a government led by other Jewish people, which is known as the Judenrat. Um, now, to be fair, most of the people serving on the Unrat were not exactly given a choice on the matter if they want to be part of the ghetto government or not. So uh, they're not collaborators or anything. Uh, in many of these governments, in fact, most of them, they would immediately be supportive of the resistance groups that would pop up within the ghetto that were normally there to smuggle people out and supplies in, though sometimes it was armed resistance. And in a lot of cases, for instance, Warsaw, that government would actually become part of the command structure of the resistance itself. Um, Vilna, it turned out, was not one of those places. Nope. The government was headed by a former army officer turned cop named uh, Jacob Jens. I think it's Jens or or Gens. I'm not sure. Um now, he took his job very seriously and ruled with an iron fist to the point that other people within the ghetto called him King Jacob, which is not a good sign. Now, Jacob was working within the idea that um, if he and the ghetto uh, that he was kind of in charge of, but not really, cooperated with the Nazis, things would go better for them and his people would be treated better. It was this line of thought that led Jacob and his fellow Jewish police officers to round up Jews to be de- to be deported to Poneri in 1941, where a massacre would take place that would eventually include 100,000 people. At least a thousand of those people, the Jewish police of Vilna were directly personally responsible for. Yeah, it's worth noting that that uh, King Jacob, I uh, believe that he could essentially work with the Germans and sort of convince them that uh, if you let the Jews do it, uh, you know that that if you let the Jews do it, that he would be able to save more Jews. He did some. He did have to do some pretty horrific stuff, like giving oh, up God, old yeah. people in exchange for saving other residents, yes. like uh, and then bribing uh, the commander of the Padari killing squad to accept four hundred instead of six hundred. That sort of thing. Yeah, he uh, made a deal with Martin. Obviously, Weiss, like he was he was a, he was a fucking collaborator. I mean, that's that's the fucking word you want. Normally, I will say the Judenrat was not, but uh, Jens or Gens or whatever the hell, absolutely a fucking collaborator. Uh, and in case uh, you 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 guys are ever wondering why I what the word capo means when I call another Jewish person that on Twitter, uh, it's it's actually a functionary uh, in the extermination camps. So uh, don't use that word if you're not Jewish. But uh, and, what, Capo, and most capos K-A-P-O. didn't have a choice. I know. It's just I. That's something I struggle with as a Jewish person. Man, is like you know you you get obviously like you you want self preservation kicks in at some point. And like, well, it's easy for sure. me to say like you should have just you know you should have died rather than than give up your people. Like 
that's not a fucking choice I'd like to make. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, a lot of the capos um, in the camp specifically were, I mean, some of them were criminals who were not Jewish. Right. Um, others were Jewish. And, and for instance, like in Auschwitz, uh, the capos had an uprising and destroyed one yes, of the ovens. Yes, they did. Um, so like, you know, the, the capos weren't a monolith. And I feel like that's unfair to a lot of them in, in comparison to Jens because the capos didn't actually kill people. No. Um, he like Jens himself personally murdered 400 people. Yes, he did. Um, right. And, and, and thought, know, thought he was like saving people to do so. Do not do yeah. this, people. Yeah, it turns out you cannot, in fact, make deals with Nazis. No. Um, and, you know, uh, tell Joe uh, Biden y- that. <laughs> yeah, Yitzhak Arad, who's a historian and a member of, of uh, what would go on to be called the Avengers, uh, was hesitant on calling uh, Jens a collaborator. Uh, he said that he he erred fundamentally in his conception that the German administration regarded the existence of the ghetto and its ha- inhabitants vital for economic reasons. Uh, like he, his idea was if, uh, at least this is what Arad says is like Jens believed he could show the Nazis that like, Hey, obviously we're good for you. Look at the work that we do. Uh, so you can't kill everybody. Uh, that's very stupid. Uh, but I'm trying, I'm trying to put myself in these shoes, um, especially with what Kovner is going to run into himself. Mm-hmm. Um, because like Kovner's one of the first people that is not like actively in the SS that openly says the Nazis are going to kill all the Jews. Right. Um, so like, and when he went into the camps or sorry, when he went back into the ghetto, he didn't go into the camps. Um, he was like, Hey, they're going to fucking kill us all. Everybody's like, no, they're not. That's stupid. Why would they do that? Well, he re- releases the pamphlet in what? 41 or 42, I think. 41, uh, yeah. Let us not go to lambs to slaughter. Uh, and then it was it was that nobody knew how widespread it was yet, as far as I remember. Well, the, the reason for and that was... no one really was, believed him. So he started talking about they're going to kill all the Jews in uh, 1941. Now, the reason for that, a lot of people are like, yeah, like, come on. Why the fuck would they do that? It's because the Von Sieg conference wouldn't be held until January of the next year. Right. um, Where the Nazis themselves would hash out the details of their so-called final solution. Um, But they had been sending death squads into the East to murder Jews, like at Ponary, um, since Operation Barbarossa. Um, But... You know, the around this time when he goes back into the camps, um, there's a couple hundred thousand people already dead or when he goes back into the ghetto. My bad. I keep saying that Um, by the time the Von C conference is done, about a half million people are dead. Um, And, you know, when he saw because like Kovner found Ponary when he was still out in the woods. Right. And he, he, he saw the killing grounds and he was like, they're. They're going to kill They're us gonna all. They're going to use those all on all of us. Yeah. Yeah. And he, like like you said, he printed a letter and it'd go down in history uh, where he released it in the Vilna ghetto titled, We Will Not Let Them Take Us Like Sheep to the Slaughter. And it not only became the organization's motto, but it was the first documented source outside the SS inner circle at this point. Because at this point, the Von C conference hadn't happened. But, you know, the Holocaust um, is... Well underway. Uh, it's well underway and known, but only within certain groups on the Eastern Front. Right. Um, so, like, outside of very, a very small circle of commanders and high-ranking people, he's the first person to say anything about it. 
The, the letter ended with, quote, we will not be led like sheep to the slaughter. True, we are weak and helpless, but the only response to the murders is revolt. Brethren, it's time to die fighting like free men than live at the mercy of murderers. Arise, arise with your last breath. That shit's fire, right? Yeah, no, uh, you could, you actually could pick up his mixtape on, uh, on that piff. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there's a, there's a long, there's actually a guy from Detroit, your, your, your brethren who has a klezmer band who did a song about, uh, daddy Abba. I think uh, like That's I saw great. them on tour. What it was weird. Well, like, yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, the, this sort of like, you'd rather die upon defeat, uh, die upon your feet than to live upon your knees. Uh, yeah. but at, at that time he, you know, he would have sounded like a crazy person. And I think one of the reasons, uh, one of the things that does piss me off so much about Walter Jews had just been armed is like, nobody fucking even knew what was happening because nobody told us shit because there's a whole war going on. Yeah. And that like, he, he was kind of like gaped at like a crazy person or an idiot. People just didn't believe him because I mean, like, I can only imagine someone come like your life is shit. Obviously, life in the ghetto is terrible and people are being killed. Violence is begets violence. And this is your real reality. But you don't However, think you and everyone you know is about to be sent to a fucking death camp. Not to mention, especially as an Eastern European Jew, your grandparents or great grandparents probably remember the last fucking time some shit like this happened. Like, oh, no, the fucking other people are going to come through and burn our shit down and then steal from us. They might kill your cousins or whatever. Well, like, these, at least these speak German, I suppose. That's a nice refreshing change of pace. <laughs> right. Like pogroms are such a ingrained part of a cultural memory that someone's saying like, no, no, they're going to kill all of us this time. They're like, why the fuck would they do that? That's stupid. Come on. <laughs> I just love the idea of like your old Jewish grandfather being like, come on. That's like bullets are whizzing <laughs> past him. Yeah, I mean, like, that's, like, quite honestly what Jen's thought. Like, nah, the, the, they, they can't kill us all. We're worth too much. All right. Like, nah, don't worry, it, man. Don't worry. Not to Nazis. No, it's, 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 it's funny. Not funny, but, like, the sort of desperation to survive and, like, you know, well, if we just, it's, it's like an abuse victim. Like, if we just cooperate, you know, then they'll leave us alone. It's, it's. Being a Jewish person, as I imagine being an Armenian person is, is fucking depressing, man. Yeah, I mean, a lot of our um, cultural touchstones all go back to one specific event that happens to be one of the most, like, you know, after, like, the Holocaust or before the Holocaust, one of the worst crimes that's occurred in human in modern human history. Uh, and one was modeled after the other. Yes. So, like, yes, you know, <laughs> we, yeah. we, we have a lot of tra- general trauma is or generational trauma is real, folks. A hundred percent. Yeah. And it, it's always really weird. Like I did a series on Monty Melkonian and, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, that kept touching back to him is that you know, he was born in the United States, went over to uh, Armenia to fight. And one of the things is like, no matter where you went, Armenians always kind of bounded that way. <laughs> and it's like incredibly fucked up how we internalize that but you know a lot of that i believe is because it's unresolved to this day nobody's ever been held accountable for it unless it's through vigilante justice uh which was pretty fucking rad uh and like nobody accepts it it's still not legally accepted as a thing in the united states uh you know but you know we get our corner in the holocaust museum so we have that going for us yeah we're we're happy to share our corner with you (laughs) 
that's that's the that's like it's so funny man because and where i grew up too there weren't many jews so you get these like bizarro world bizarro world body experiences about like the weird shit your upper middle class liberal parents did like liberal jewish parents did where like they're just like bursting through a, a door and be like you got to go meet with the holocaust survivor at the synagogue and it's like 8 a.m on a wednesday you're like why the <laughs> fuck and my dad's like never again never again means never again get your ass there but cartoons run. Shut up and go to school. <laughs> yeah, and then and then your dad calls the school because they're not teaching the Holocaust history right. And then you're sitting in the office and he's just screaming at the teacher and your rabbi is involved. And yeah, it's a whole mess. That actually I, happened to me. He was he was very <laughs> mad that that they weren't teaching Holocaust history uh, in a way that he thought was appropriate. So he called up my history teacher and just screamed at them. For like an hour, uh, the joys of teaching history, <laughs> folks. As uh, I, I had a Holocaust history class when I was in high school, and uh, it was taught by some Italian guy from New Jersey. Ah, uh, yes, notable, <laughs> notable, <laughs> notable survivor of the great. Holocaust, Vincent Gabagool. <laughs> um. Now, when he uh, when Kovner returned to Vilna, he and and you know passed out his pamphlet and everything. He probably expected some kind of popular uprising, and that's not what he got. Nope. Um, but he did get some recruits, uh, and he managed to bring together kind of like a cross hatching of just Vilna society. He brought together communists, Zionists, labor organizers, rabbis. Didn't matter. Uh, what do you think it, that what, happy hour looked like? <laughs> yeah, it's fucking <laughs> popping. <laughs> Uh, unfortunately, it was only about fifty to seventy people, oh. depending on yeah, out of, out of tens of thousands. That's yeah. that's uh, not great returns on investment there. No, um, and they were mostly unarmed because you know one of the problems with being smuggled into the ghetto is you have to leave a lot of your shit behind. But they did manage to rage a gun and hand grenade hookup with the same convent that smuggled them out. The the same convent that helped smuggle. Um, him and the other members out in the very beginning and smuggle him back in also gave them weapons thanks dominicans <laughs> yeah, we appreciate it's you incredible can like, you imagine just like the priest is just like oh welcome back boys it just like gives you a 22 <laughs> here's your sacrament it's just a fucking grenade <laughs> All right, we're gonna like you were lining up for communion, and a guy's just stuffing uh, ammunition in like a sack for you. <laughs> <laughs> the body of Christ hands you a fucking MP twenty four or whatever. <laughs> All right, go get him, champ. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, Covner's small group is now armed. Yeah, you know, again by the convent. Uh, that's just fucking wild to me. Um, they, they also began openly resisting the Germans. Um, they had a hard time doing a ton of damage due to Jacob, though, uh, and his Jewish police. Now, normally how popular resistance works for people who are unaware is people support you. Obviously, like the people of the ghetto hate the Nazis. Therefore, they will support the resistance. And that makes your job easier. You get better recruits. You get more hideouts. You, know, you don't have to wonder where your next meal is going to come from or someone's going to fucking snitch on you. That's not what happened. Um, because he had the cops, and the cops are actively working against them. In other ghettos, the cops were also normally resistance fighters, um, because you know they realized that, like, you know, I'm gonna fucking die too. So what would happen was, say, the resistance would carry out something, say, like shooting a Nazi. The Nazis would then clamp down harder on the ghetto, and instead of clearly like understanding that, like, the Nazis are doing Nazi shit, Jacob would instead blame the resistance. 
for the increase of Nazi pressure on the ghetto. So like, you know, the Nazis are being dicks to us because the resistance shot a Nazi. Not like the Nazis are being dicks to us because they're not because Nazis. they're Nazis. <laughs> yeah. That's a that's that's a Jesus Christ. Antifa so it, are the real fascists. Yeah. What what is the fa, Jacob? Uh, weird. <laughs> Tell us what the fa is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and like that made uh you know life for for Kovner and and his fighters pretty hard. Um and so by like 1943 with resistance rising within the ghetto, uh Jacob finally straight up sold out the partisan leader Yitzhak Wittenberg to the Nazis. Uh, who at no point uh, had figured out who was actually in charge, so they couldn't like you know do a decapitation operation and try to take out the leadership. Now Wittenberg heard through the grapevine that the Nazis had a picture of him, they had his name, and they're looking for him. Uh, and he knew if he tried to you know dive into the hideouts or whatever, or even run from the ghetto, the Nazis would just come down on the partisan group. So he simply walked into the Gestapo office and turned himself in, knowing he was going to die. Uh, because he figured if they killed him, the heat would come off the partisans. And that's kind of what happened, honestly. Um, now, there is a rumor that Jacob and uh, uh, and Wittenberg had an agreement ahead of time. And he slipped him a cyanide pill while he was in jail. There's no evidence of that other than what seems like historical revisionism on Jacob Jen's family side. Um, and there's well, also you some also argument. You dad to be a collaborator. I get it. Yeah, I, yeah, I'm. F- I, I understand why you do it, but it, but you're wrong. Um, there, there's also uh, some arguments on if Jacob himself sold out Wittenberg or um, another member of the Unrot did it, but it seems like it was probably Jacob. Um, but after this, Kovner, now in charge fully, realized that like we got to get the fuck out of here. Time is running out. Uh, so once again, they escaped with the help of the convent. Uh, Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Just be when like, oh, leave it, next leave, it, leave it so soon, boys. And it's just like the priest <laughs> continuing to hand you like machine pistols, like like when a nice Catholic grandma. Get us a tank. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's just the priest sending you out with just like I don't know, like Molotovs in a literal bread basket. Now remember, <laughs> do not drink these. These are for throwing, not for drinking. <laughs> Is some members of the partisans stayed behind. So, like, you know, when the Nazis came to liquidate the ghetto, the partisans rose up again, this time openly. Um, and unfortunately, so this is from the Shua Research Center. Quote, in September 1943, the Nazis began liquidating the ghetto. The FPO, which is their Lithuanian acronym, uh, prepared to fight and called on the ghetto's inhabitants to join them in revolt. However, the inhabitants did not respond, thinking that they were instead being sent elsewhere to work. Which was a common view held by residents of not just the Vilna ghetto, but many ghettos. Yeah, and in the Vilna ghetto specifically, I believe that attitude was helped long by the fact that Jacob Jens was there to attempt to smooth things over. That's what was going to happen, yeah. And Jens and all of his Jewish police who had been killing hundreds of their own inhabitants were shot alongside the rest of their ghetto inhabitants. It's crazy how that works. Yeah. Mm. Now, mm. Kovner renamed his group the Avengers or the Nakmim. Um, I'm working on my Hebrew. Uh, <laughs> You're doing all right. <laughs> I got some other parts in here. Hold, hold your applause. <laughs> well, you know, I listen, man. My my Hebrew is 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 limited. We'll say so. I can't come at you too hard. 
Now, Kovner, uh, free from the ghetto and working hand-in-hand with Soviet commanded partisans, uh, had a new goal. He would not only still attack Nazis, uh, but he would also attack anybody who even remotely worked at them. Civilians, women, children, unarmed, armed, it didn't matter. In many of these outlying villages near the forest, Soviet partisans would raid town for food and materials. Now, some of these villages willingly supported the partisans, giving them all the food they would need, while others didn't support the partisans, maybe due to the fact that, like, hey, we need food too, while still others openly supported the Nazis. Um, Now, it's a a bit of a gray area. The partisans weren't exactly a scalpel in the situation. Um, Sometimes they just acted like bandits. Uh, Yeah, they they may have done a massacre once or twice. Yeah, 100%. The the, the Kanuchi mass. Yeah, they did a massacre. The, yeah, but it's worth noting that, as far as I know, a lot of those uh, the 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 massacre is at least controversial. So you know, maybe maybe we didn't kill thirty eight civilians. Who knows? Who's to say? Now about the Kanuchi massacre, uh, one of the things that happens in a lot of these towns that maybe lean more towards the fascist side, they reach out to local police, be like, "Hey, the fucking partisans are demanding we give them food." Now, those cops were controlled by Nazis, and they're considered a Nazi auxiliary. So, when you reach out to these groups, they don't really have the manpower. So, the cops would give you guns to defend yourself. Now, the partisans, Kovner and his group included, seeing that these civilians were now armed by the Nazi-controlled state. Assume this meant they were collaborators. So in 1944, Kovner and his unit raided the village of uh, Kanuchi and killed 38 civilians and burnt everything to the ground. Now, this could be, was this a massacre? Probably. Were they collaborators? Maybe. War sucks. <laughs> yeah, war's not fun. Yeah, it's almost like war is, in fact, bad. Amoral. Um, yeah, there, there's, 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 uh, there's not a lot of morality. Uh, when you're being genocided, so no, hundred percent. And Kovner was not against killing civilians, as nope. we will soon nope. find out. <laughs> now, afterwards, Kovner's and his partisans helped the Soviet Red Army liberate the city of Vilna after it had been liquidated. As the war ground to a close, he busied himself helping surviving Jews escape Eastern Europe, mostly to what would become Israel, then the Palestinian Mandate, but also. As the war ended, Kovner and his comrades saw things like the Nuremberg trials unfolding and got pissed off. Now, the reason for this is, so this is from a study when it comes to denazification. I talked a little bit about this before during our Clean Wehrmacht episode, but I do need to retouch on it a little bit to explain why Kovner may have not just been a bloodthirsty psychopath. Um So after the war, Allied officials estimated about 13.2 million men in Western Germany alone as eligible for automatic arrest because they had been deemed part of the Nazi apparatus. Fewer than 3.5 million of these were ever charged with any crime, and of those, 2.5 million were released without trial. So Kovner saw things like the Nuremberg trials and be like, okay, you're killing the top Nazis, but I didn't see, you know... Uh, Reinhard Heydrich or any of these people fucking killing people in the ghetto. What about all of the henchmen? What about the soldiers? What about the middle? Like, what about middle fucking management? You know, reconstruction um, sucks. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You don't need to give Nazis an olive branch. No, you do not. Um, so Kovner decided this is a bunch of bullshit, and he formed another group called Dad Yahudi Nakam, or Jewish Blood Will Be Avenged, commonly known as the Jewish Avengers. Um, now. While Allied powers were busy 
holding a few of the top Nazis accountable. Kovner and his group hunted everyday members of the party, soldiers, and the SS. <laughs> I do. Yeah, it's you know this is this is not a, a entirely foreign uh, uh, thing for Jews to do. The uh, Mossad also carried something out like this after the Black September massacre, Operation Wrath of God. Oh, uh, yeah. where they may have accidentally waxed just some innocent waiter in Lillehammer, or Norway, but things happen. But you he know? looked vaguely like that Black September member. Yeah, uh, I do love the idea of just like, like obviously the only good Nazi is a dead Nazi. But can you imagine just being like the Nazis HR guy or just some like <laughs> lower level peon, and you come home after a long day of like reassimilating into normal German society, and you just take two to the dome. <laughs> it's like you're like a finance guy in the Wehrmacht who like yeah. <laughs> skirted out of duty like faked injury like haha I got out of that war and you sit down and there's like there's a there's fucking just a guy pipe sitting bomb in your under your, yes. <laughs> you go home in your German car and there's just a pipe bomb under it and all you did all you ever did was rearrange spreadsheets <laughs> I mean admittedly those guys get the wall all right yeah, they, if you're yeah, really into get, Excel they get the wall <laughs> you're get you're you're get you're getting knock mimmed. Um there was a there was an Armenian group after the genocide as well that did the same thing and they obviously like one of them killed Talat Pasha, like effectively Turkish Hitler, but also like they killed literally anybody who had any kind of role within the Ottoman government. <laughs> like, oh, I see you're I don't know, the bodyguard for the fucking Sultan's harem. Getting We're the wall. kill you getting the wall. You're know, <laughs> gonna kill you with a fucking hammer. Um and they did things in a very unique way. Nobody has any fucking idea how many people Kovner and his hit squad killed throughout not, not only Europe, enough. but Canada, Latin America, and, and Russia. <laughs> yeah, like they, they went international. They fucking Mr. Worldwide. Um, there was even a plot to get into Landsberg prison where a lot of the high ranking Nazis uh, were being held and like because like he they realized like some of these guys are gonna get hung cool but a lot of these guys are getting fucking prison sentenced we don't want any of that bullshit they're gonna get let off early and Kovner didn't know he was 100% right about that almost all of them had their fucking life sentences converted Uh, but the problem was he couldn't find any guards willing to take a bribe pussies because like the, uh, the most of the bri- most of the guards were American at the time, at least according to um, one of the other uh, knock mem guys, and they pointed out like, okay, you bribe me and I leave, and then like a dozen prisoners are killed. That's still gonna fall back on me. <laughs> like, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the team made car accidents happen, um, and they ran people over on the side of the road a lot. Um, it was noted that uh, very low tech uh, way to uh, <laughs> achieve your goals. I like that. <laughs> just doing a fucking burnout on someone's skull. Just doing uh, a shug night to some SS asshole. <laughs> <laughs> and it's noted that like uh, auto vehicle deaths uh, by former members of the SS mysteriously skyrocketed. Um, they also strung people up from trees and broke into their houses and shot them. Um, they, but they didn't want to like openly murder them because it caused other ones to go into hiding. Right. Though they didn't, like I said, these guys aren't exactly a fucking surgical scalpel here. Like they, one time, a former high-ranking Gestapo official had gone into a hospital for a routine surgery, right? And he was mysteriously found with a fucking vein full of kerosene and dead. Uh, it's experimental procedure. See how they like it. 
Uh, they also tracked one guy down all the way to suburban Winnipeg, Canada. Oh my god! Uh, he was his name was Alexander Locke, and uh, he was uh, uh, an Estonian, or he was a mem- an Estonian auxiliary that worked in a concentration camp, and he was thought to be responsible to around a um, hundred thousand deaths at his camp. Um, so they waited for Locke's wife to leave uh, to go to an evening cinema trip, and then confronted him in a, in his home with all of his crimes, uh, evidence, and like we're gonna kill you. However. We invite you to kill yourself first. Otherwise, we're going to come back and kill you and your entire family. So he killed himself. I don't know. It. Hey, hey, man. Hey, man. If it's stupid and it works, it's not stupid. Yeah. I mean, oh, like they, they didn't want they didn't want all these guys to catch one between the eyes because then their other Nazi buddies would find out. But if a whole bunch of them mysteriously killed kill themselves, it's genius. Yeah. But after looking at the amount of Germans he killed, which is the thought to be several dozens. Uh, he figured at this rate, he was never going to avenge the victims of the Holocaust. So, Kavanaugh decided the only thing that could avenge the Jewish people was doing a genocide of his own. He said, quote, a nation for a nation, and came up with a plan to poison the municipal water supply of Nuremberg, Munich, Hamburg, and Frankfurt, with the goal of killing 6 million Germans to make up for the 6 million dead Jews of the Holocaust. It's poetic. It's poetic. I just, I love, we've got to think bigger. What can we do? <laughs> Six like a marketing mils. meeting. Yeah, right. Boys, a marketing our, our meeting bro- of your local vigilante group. <laughs> Boys, our, our Nazi killing is, uh, is doing well. It's like that scene in Glorious Bastards where he's like uh, with uh, Stieglitz or whatever. And he's oh, like, yeah, your, yeah. your status as a Nazi killer is still uh, amateur. We will see it if you wanted to go pro. Yeah, that's exactly what yeah, Kovner is the uh, the Brad Pitt in this situation. Yeah, Kovner is trying to see if people want to go pro. Yeah. I just love the uh, the escalation from we're just going to hunt down individual Nazis and kill them to what if we killed five cities worth of people? <laughs> and admittedly, a lot of people in the group are like, wait, what? Yeah, that's right. Five, <laughs> five cities, baby. <laughs> Fucking do a, a Western Germany tour, baby. Uh, now. <laughs> This is where a lot of details get murky. As you can imagine, a lot of the people involved in this don't want to say they were because, you know, the genocide. Um, But the first thing that Kovner had to do was find a massive source of arsenic. Uh, And now he was a this is all mostly hearsay, but it's been repeated by multiple people. So I will say take this with a grain of salt. He was put in contact with a guy named Chaim Weizmann, who then put him in contact with a chemist named Ephraim Kitesur, who then hooked him up with a fuckload of arsenic. Now, the reason why a lot of people say that this did not happen, mostly that being Weizmann and Kitesur, is that they would both eventually become presidents of the state of Israel, and that would certainly look bad on the record. No, they don't care. There's the... There's the early... Not early Zionists groups but uh there's a group called the stern gang and the haganah and they blew up the king david hotel in jerusalem and then one of them went on to be president so like this shit happened a lot in israel's early days just like you you're done you know massacring british soldiers or whatever and then you turn around and you're president now yeah and i mean to be fair kovner would eventually go and join the haganah as well um a lot of these guys would Uh, but as you can imagine it looked kind of bad um, if they were openly acknowledged the fact that they were going to murder several million Germans. 
Um, both deny this ever happened. Uh, but even in Kovner's telling that this plan did not work, obviously, as you know, those cities still exist. Um, so instead, he managed to get some arsenic from a different chemist at a local university in the Palestinian Mandate and hid them in cans of condensed milk. Now, this is where Kovner ends up being kind of dumb. Um, in order to travel uh, to the Palestinian Mandate, the, which the British had severely restricted immigration uh, of, of Jewish people into because they realized what was happening and were very bad at administrating and, you know, look at the problems that we have. Uh, but you, if you were a Jewish person in Europe, you couldn't just be like, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. Nope, uh, they didn't like that. Yeah, so he disguised himself as a member of the Jewish Brigade, uh, which fell under the British Army. And he had fake papers to go along with it. Uh, and he was traveling by boat. Uh, his, his name was called out, his disguise name. Now, this led to a problem. His disguise was immediately found out because in order to be a member of the Jewish Brigade, you had to speak English, Oop. which Kovner did not. Whoop. So all they had to do was like, hey, are you whatever his disguise name is? Like, uh, what? <laughs> like, oh, he doesn't speak fucking English. Yes. How you say, uh, yes. <laughs> and like, uh, you know, he, so he was caught immediately. Um. And he managed to ditch the cans of condensed milk overboard with mind, like into the water, which can, oh, contained, <laughs> yeah, which contained enough arsenic to kill millions of people. Maybe they're still there. I don't fucking know. Um, but you know, the, he wasn't caught because the Brits were on to his plan to kill half of Germany. He was caught because they assumed that he was working with many of, like, say, like the Haganah and smuggling people into the Palestinian Mandate. And he was not the first person to try to disguise himself as a member of the Jewish Brigade. Um, and there's also the possibility that he was ratted out by people like um, Kites and uh, Weizmann because they looked at this guy who came at them with a plan to kill 6 million people and were like, this might hurt our chances of starting our own country if we kill Germany. Um, so they turned him in. But that that's kind of hearsay, I guess. Um, mm-hmm. But either way, Kovner was not out of the operation, um, leaving the Avengers under the command of Joseph Hartsman, or sorry, Harmitz, um, who decided that this, he's, he saw this first plan, which, to be fair, he was on board with, um, but he now saw it as being untenable. So he had to move on to plan B. Uh, plan B targeted Stalag 13 a prisoner of war camp that housed solely members of the SS that were being processed and arrested and uh, in the uh, somewhere in the process of being looked at to make sure they weren't some horrific war criminal. And then when they were found out not to be, they were just released basically Scott Frey. So this was the good plan. Yes. Uh, I do. Like I said, I like, I like the chutzpah of just like, we're going to get so much fucking arsenic. You guys, <laughs> <laughs> it's still incredible. Like uh, that, he had like Harmutz, like just got all this arsenic very easily. Well, uh, he was ready to go. <laughs> well, Kovner's like, no, I gotta go to the fucking Palestinian mandate. I gotta put on a fucking disguise, get all these fake paperwork. And Har- Harmutz's like, yo, I got all this arsenic right here. You guys like, want to no, go? No, no. Like, I'm ready. <laughs> I gotta be a fucking secret agent. Um, now they weren't. They knew they wanted to target this place, but they weren't entirely sure how. Until they realized that the camp's bread all came from one local bakery, uh, so Harmitz picked out someone from the Avengers ranked who looked uh, who from the, looked young enough, 
but also Aryan enough to be hired by the local German bakery, which I have to say is the most horrible sentence I've ever had to say out loud recently. Um, Glad I could be here sa- for it. <laughs> like, imagine you're like a, a Jewish partisan, like which one of us looks the most German so we could like pass into like our, our almost certainly anti-Semitic baker. He, he speaks the third most Italian. I don't speak Italian. <laughs> Uh, he settled on a guy named Ari Distill, who looked to be about 15 years old and had blue eyes and, and sandy, blonde, brownish hair. So Good he got enough. the job. Yeah. Uh, and he got the job as a trainee baker. Uh, and the plot had to wait a couple months for him to slowly work his way up through the bakery ranks to be able to work on his own in the morning. Uh, at that point, like, this is the long game, man. Like, you know, someone in the Avengers, like, can we just go in the front door and machine gun these people? Like, we, can we could, just fucking- <laughs> but have you guys heard of my incredibly elaborate and, and, and needlessly time consuming plan? <laughs> Your plan doesn't have nearly enough arsenic in it. Uh, and eventually, uh, Distill worked himself up to that point. Uh, but Distill could only smuggle in a little bit of arsenic at a time and hide it under the floorboards without being noticed by his boss. So over the course of several days, Distill managed to bring in enough poison to kill tens of thousands of Nazis. Woo! <laughs> uh, I'm not sure exactly how much arsenic that is, but I don't know. Enough. Um, I, I'm not a chemist. I'm going to go assume like, I don't know, a cargo pocket full. <laughs> I don't know what the... Well, they had 40 it? pounds worth at least, so... Yeah, I, they, I they had to bring in so, like, um, you're like the guy having to, oh, I, I, I have to go use the bathroom real quick as you, like, drag in more things <laughs> labeled <laughs> not arsenic. Sacks of totally safe flour? <laughs> <laughs> Why are they all in this corner that's never lit? Why don't we have any rats anymore? <laughs> <laughs> and like fucking the, the skull and crossbones just painted over with a bigger red X. <laughs> it just it's like a smiley face. <laughs> <laughs> so on April 13th, 1946, during a shift change, Harmat sent several other people with Distel to paint the bottoms of around 3,000 loaves of bread with arsenic. Um and I don't, they like had to work it into like a solution so it could be easily paintable. Uh, I would like to assume that they melted bread or something or like melted butter to fucking like paint it on like garlic bread or something. Yeah, yeah. You got just like the idea of like opening up a, a, a pizza from Papa John's. Oh no, <laughs> they confused the arsenic butter with the garlic butter. Uh, just dying. <laughs> Who got all the butter? Um, I, I love the idea. I do love the idea. Like a little pastry brush with just arsenic. <laughs> and like very time consuming, like painting very slowly over. And it's like a fucking uh, Olive Garden commercial where it zooms in as the bread rises. Yes. <laughs> but uh, they were. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> they, they were able to get 3,000 loaves of bread, but they were unable to paint the rest due to the fact that the bakery was actually on strike. Um, and they thought that bringing in too many people into the place at once might tip off the U.S. Army, who uh, Harmatz got the tip that they might be looking into several members of their group. I don't know, maybe for all the car-related murders. <laughs> what do they care? We're just doing their job for them. Yeah, exactly. Uh, their original plan was the uh, was the target 16,000 loaves of bread. And according to a FOIA request put in by the New York Times in 1947... There was enough uh, poison left over under the floorboards 
to kill 60,000 people if they would have eaten it. Um, but I also love the idea that like all of these Jewish communists are like, shit, we got to fucking scab the bakery so we can poison the Nazis because <laughs> there's a strike going on up front. <laughs> Uh, after painting the bread, the Avengers escaped to southern France. The next day, the bread was distributed within the camp and poisoned over 2,000 Nazis. Um, I, I do uh, love the idea of just like, all right, see ya. Like, uh, the, the entire bakery is mysteriously leaving. We no longer wish to work for you. No other we're, reason. <laughs> we're joining the picket line. Uh, Bye. <laughs> Uh, hundreds of the SS guys were were badly poisoned and nearly died. Uh, so, uh, reportedly, like a dozen or so were blinded or otherwise crippled nice. uh, for life. Yeah. <laughs> now the Avengers claimed because they rightfully assumed that the amount of poison that they use is literally at least going to kill hundreds of people, probably thousands, and they said that they killed you know all the way up until very recently Harmats who died very recently. Uh, said that, like, oh, hundreds of people died. The army just doesn't want to talk about it. But what probably happened is that they spread the arsenic too thin. That's a shame. Um, yeah. Uh, or another thing that could have happened Yeah, if you is, see a guy eating bread and he suddenly collapses to the ground and he can't see, you're not going to eat the bread. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, that's probably what happened. Or, you know, you only ate a little bit of it because it means odorless and tasteless. If it didn't hit so some people so quickly, you know, a lot of people probably would have eaten all of their fucking bread and died, uh, but apparently hit real fast. Um, uh, they, they, they got the two parts arsenic, one part butter recipe perfectly. Um, but yeah, nobody died. Uh, nobody has any fucking idea how they, how the Nazis got so lucky. That's a damn um, shame. Yeah. Um, everything that we have, like even hard Mots is like, eh, what can you do? Uh, now, after <laughs> after this, the Avengers laid low, many of whom traveled to Israel to fight in the coming war of independence or do terrorism, uh, while still others continued to hunt Nazis in Europe for years afterwards. Uh, and like to the to be fair, nobody's exactly sure. Like the the people that stayed behind, um, uh, like how many people they killed. Uh, but they're like uh, Harmats is probably like, well, if we killed several dozens, they probably killed hundreds. <laughs> uh so like I, lo- and I my personal favorite thing about all this um is that absolutely nobody stayed quiet about it. You know what I mean? Like you normally when you I don't know nearly kill thousands of people, like you- people like Harmats is like and Distel would be like I don't know what you're talking about. I've never seen that camp before. And a they're day just in my like, life. yeah, we fucking did it. Like, Harmats <laughs> wrote a whole fucking book about it. I, I just love the idea of like, you know, OJ's book. If I did it like, like Harmats yeah. basically writing a book on that time. I tried to kill a whole bunch of POWs and almost got away with it too. Yeah. I, I love the, <laughs> like, the like, and I, like, I can't blame you. Like after the war, like you probably want the notoriety, and you want people to know, like, this sort of shit doesn't go unpunished. Uh, yeah. I, I, do, I do just love the idea of, like, <laughs> of, of, of writing this book somewhere, like, in, like, somewhere in someone in hiding and being like, and I do it again, too. Well, that's the funny part is, um, while all this is going on, um, in 2000, Germany opened up a case against Harmats 
and Distel, who are still alive, for attempted murder. Like, I'm assuming tens of thousands of counts of attempted murder, right? Um, and then they quickly shut the case for, quote, unusual circumstances. Yes. I assume because they realized that they were, in fact, Germany and about to prosecute Holocaust survivors for trying to kill Nazis and realized how bad that looked. And they're like, ooh, we're going to close the book on this one. Um, I do I do like the... Uh this historian, uh, Dina Porat, who's done a lot of work on uh, Kovner and the Avengers, is just like said that the uh, the failure of it is a miracle. She's not sympathetic to Nazis, but she believed that like the the idea of a nation for a nation was evil. Uh, but I got to say, as a Jewish person, nah, they kind of deserve it. Like you die, you die. You are a fucking Nazi. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I, I for wiping out the SS camp, I don't feel bad about it. Now, if they would have succeeded with like murdering wiping five out. cities, <laughs> I'd be like, oof, okay. Um, but before his death in 2016, Harmatz was asked if he regretted anything that he did. He said that yes, in fact, he did. He regretted not killing the SS men that he had poisoned. <laughs> Wait, repeat, like, that? Imagine, repeat that. Repeat that. So. Before his death in 2016, Harmatz was asked if he regretted anything that he did, and he answered that he did, in fact, regret something. He regretted not killing the SS men that he had poisoned. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. It's like, you know that uh, um, the, the journalist has to be like, I, I got him. He's he's going to act, uh, you know, that he has uh, shameful and like, yeah, you know, do you regret and just be like, yeah, I regret that we didn't kill more fucking Nazis. His sunglasses fall <laughs> over his head. He lights a fucking cigarette, like blows, it, in or the, some blows shit. it in the journalist's face. <laughs> and that is uh, the the wonderful tale of the Jewish Avengers. Now, um, Liam, on your show, you do a thing called Safety Third, which is. One of my favorite parts. Thank you. Um, on our show, we do a thing called questions, questions from, the, from Legion. the Legion. Now, today's question from the Legion, I guess I should say, if you want to ask a question from the Legion, donate a dollar to the show. You can access do. to the Discord. Oh, oh, okay. I thought you were telling me personally. I'm like, Joe, I sign up for your Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not you, Liam. You, the listener. <laughs> okay. um, you can ask a Discord through Patreon. You can slide in my DMs, email, um, passenger or messenger pigeon put a, a, a message in a bottle let it go off the western coast of the united states eastern coast of i don't know australia maybe it'll float over to me Hope it hits um, yeah um so today's question from legion is a, is a mix of the two and that is what is your what is your most personal safety third experience that you've had this one is asking in the military but i'm curious for you and me what is your most safety third experience that you've ever had Oh man. Okay. So I, when I was, uh, it's not, it's not super exciting, but when I was, uh, an undergrad, uh, I wrote a, a paper, uh, describing the, I've only really held boring jobs, but describing the, the ways casinos lied to, uh, Atlantic city and said like, Oh, you know, we'll have jobs and we'll definitely play taxes. Wink, wink. Uh, and I wrote that I wrote that paper with a professor of mine, and I got a sternly worded letter uh, from the <laughs> Casino Trade Association telling Holy me that I, that I was banned from every single casino in the United States and Canada. That's just gonna get you kneecapped by some guy named Vinny. Yeah. So like, I my girlfriend has convinced me or tried to convince me numerous times to go to Atlantic City, 
And I'm just like petrified that one day I'm going to walk in and they're going to be like, you write that paper. And I'm just going <laughs> to end up in like a shadowy dark room and just like with my kneecaps broken and, my, and you know, like my kidney missing. <laughs> I think my most safety third moment is, and I, I, I wrote about this a little bit in my book, Hooligans of Kanar, but I, there's some stuff I left out. Um, Great fucking book. Go buy it. Uh, please buy it. I would like to continue eating. Um, so they every time we went on a foot patrol, we had to carry a mine detector with us, a metal detector. They called it a mine detector. Didn't fucking work, right? Um, it would beep if you pointed at anything. Uh, to underline this, the guy oh, did you that get was, the British one that beeped um, at anything? So it was American. Well, uh, we may have contracted it out, and we may have shared it, but uh, it was from uh, ostensibly an American company. I don't fucking know. It was this fold out piece of shit. And I could point it straight up in the air and it'd still beep. Nice. Um, so nice. Nice. Like, we're literally carrying it for no fucking reason. And it's heavy. Uh, I mean, it's 20-ish pounds. But when you're carrying it for 12 fucking hours while walking, however many miles up mountains and shit, shit gets heavy. Um, and uh, finally, I folded it up and just put it in my backpack. Um, and my lieutenant uh, got pissy and was like, why aren't you carrying the mine detector? And I was like, sir, I don't need a fucking mine detector. And he's like, why? I'm like, I'll, I'll look my fucking self. And I just went over to like this like very suspicious looking oh, yeah. pile of wires and I just fucking kicked it. There's pictures of me doing this. Uh, we actually had a combat camera guy with us, which now I just called, I don't know, photographers. And he has a picture of me kicking the suspicious mound of dirt. Um. And like from a very safe distance, mind you. And I was like, nope, nothing there, sir. Walked over to the next like culvert where they put a whole bunch of bombs and stuff normally. And I just fucking kicked the side of it. I'm like, still good. 100% should be dead. Uh, but that's the like my, my safety third. I love and, like, that you'd admit- rather do that than fucking carry the, uh, than carry the mind detector around. I would rather be a smartass to my lieutenant than keep my legs. <laughs> that's that's some real army shit right there, Joe. <laughs> and uh, that's definitely my, I don't know, the army in general, the military, for my uh, understanding, everywhere in the world, is just the definition of safety. Third. One big take to third. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, a good example of that is like I was a tank crewman, though I didn't use tanks very often uh, because, you know, 21st century and all. Um and one of the things is like obviously we have a turret and we have a hull and the you know three members of our tank crew are in the turret one's in the hull completely separate right uh, the driver has uh, a hatch they can get out of mm-hmm. and there's absolutely no safety mechanism anywhere um, that stops you from traversing the turret while the driver's hatch is open oh, and no. you can you can slice them in half cool um, cool cool. There's a warning light, but it does not stop you. <laughs> That's USA, baby. That's some real proud to be an American shit right there. And uh, another thing uh, is like uh, you know, there's an emergency escape hatch, right? Like if you are the driver and say the tank's on fire and you can't get out of the hatch, your hatch, because, you know, remember, you'll be crushed. Um, you, you have to just specifically line the main gun of the tank over the back left fuel cell. If my memory serves me normally, it doesn't um, to open up this escape chute where you can scuttle into the turret. Oh no. Uh, But 
like again, there's nothing stopping the turret from moving. Like right. say you got hit hit by another explosion or whatever that originally set you on fire. You could again be cut in half. Um, While you're on fire, that's an indignant way to die. Yeah, or you know, another thing is like, oh, you know, we got hit with something big enough to hurt the driver, which is very hard. How are we going to move our turret? Oh, we can't. I guess you'll just burn to death. <laughs> like, Jesus uh, fuck. <laughs> yeah, a whole thing is one big dude. safety third. It's great, oh, and man. that's why I'm a podcaster now. Yeah, I feel you. I, I feel you. I uh, I will say I always loved hearing Raz's stories of being like. 300 feet in the air, not tied off and just sort of hoping for the best there. <laughs> oh yeah. So fucking true. Um, like I was never a construction worker or anything cause I abhor manual labor and I'm terrible at it. But like more than once I'd have to like do stupid chores for the army or whatever. What many of which recall like required getting on roofs, um, for like, they oh, called no. it area beautification, um, where you like, you have to clean garbage and shit off of roofs that accumulates, whether it be leaves or otherwise, we weren't tied off to fucking anything. It makes you more of a man, Joe. Yeah. Don't you, uh, don't but you, you want to be a man's man? On the flip side of that, you would have to wear your ballistic helmet when you used a lawnmower. Why? What? I Why? don't know. I don't know. You'd have to wear your ballistic helmet, your ballistic glasses, and your fucking flash-resistant Kevlar gloves to use a push lawnmower. What did they think was going to happen to you? I don't know. Maybe the Taliban planted a fucking IED in that field. (laughs) What a way to go. (laughs) Yeah, his his riding lawnmower got hit by an IED. The most embarrassing way to die is getting fucking Mujahideen out of goddamn Coleman or whatever. He he died doing what he loved, riding his John Deere. (laughs) Well, uh, Liam, we've already talked about your show a little bit, but you can use this area to plug your show. Thank you, Joe. Sorry, I was eating wings. Uh, (laughs) So I am on a podcast called Well, There's Your Problem. We are an engineering disasters podcast with slides. Uh, We are also on Patreon. You can find us on Twitter at WTYP pod. Uh, Our next episode is about a plant uh, explosion in Philly that I'm looking forward to. We have bonus episodes every month. $2 gets you a bonus episode. Uh, You can send in requests. Usually we'll take them. They'll get added to queue and your episode will be released sort of when we get around to it. Uh, But I'm also on here or I wanted to promote. I am starting to record my own series of stuff. Just shit that I find interesting. I don't really have a theme like military history or any of that. But my first episode should be coming out next week. Assuming I learn audition in that time. Uh, what else? Uh, I think called? that's I don't know yet, man. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, we, we will, uh, when we find out, we'll definitely put that in the show notes and put it under uh, our Twitter and shit. Appreciate um, it. But yeah, thanks uh, so much for coming on the show. Thanks I love your show. Me, I, I, I love I your can't... show, man. This I can't been, wait to beg, borrow, and scrape my way into becoming a guest again. Uh, um, yeah, just send me a DM and we'll schedule you. <laughs> uh, I think last time I, I managed to worm my way in because I had a book to promote. I don't have a book. You to can promote just this come time. on the show, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> you can just come on. I look forward to it, and um, you know, we have a theme going in the show. Like whenever we're on our way out, we always try to say something kitschy. And like the last couple times, we've always been talking about shooting Nazis. 
So, like, I don't know how many times we can say until next time, redacted Nazis. Um, but, uh, yeah. Maybe uh, maybe you just pray for an OSHA violation for some Nazis. <laughs> a really bad yeah. uh, t- loss of time accident for some Nazis. Yeah. Um, until next time, give your local Nazis some bread. Yeah. But remember, thick spreads, guys. Thick spreads.